Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. And now, let's talk about protecting your assets. Hey folks, Lucky Luciano here. We want to take a second to thank you for supporting our podcast and tuning in for this first part of a two-part series with our special guest, James Acevedo. James is a multidisciplined professional with over 20 years of experience. He has successfully managed various types of security issues, consulting projects, training and investigations, and has worked in over 40 countries as a special, and is a specialist in Mexico, Central and South American affairs. His unorthodox understanding of risk, security and technology and unmanned systems often makes him the scariest man in the room. Mr. Hasabato is designated a certified protection professional with ACES. He's also a certified protection specialist, having graduated from ESI as a level one agent. And finally, combining his passion for aviation engineering and security, James has, for the, over the last 10 years, has been endeavoring to understand and evaluate how unmanned systems, whether they're on land, sea, or air, will impact security both uh, as a potential solution and threat. So again, thanks for joining us for this two-part series. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, leave us some comments and send us some uh, some messages if, if you've got any questions and we'd be happy to follow up with them. Um, and without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to the show. Hello, folks, and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano Cedroni, with me, Brian the Angry Man Clayman. And we've got an exciting uh, change of events for you in this episode. And actually, over the next couple episodes, we're going to be talking to James Acevedo, um, a drone expert, uh, heavily involved with technology. And he's, I think, going to be able to share some, uh, some, some straight talking thoughts on on the industry, uh, how it's evolved, some of the challenges, and what uh, what those drones are doing for us out there today. Because it's not all bad, that's for sure. There's a lot of good stuff that drones could be used for. But as usual, I think humans have a habit of screwing those things up. <laughs> so before before we uh, before we get into the actual topic, I wanted to first of all welcome James to the show and uh, welcome my my co-pilot Brian. Uh, Brian, any opening words? Just excited to have James. He's a straight shooter. It's going to be an interesting conversation. And uh, although we're talking about drones, he does not drone on. He's going to get right to the point. It should be interesting. Yeah, this should be a fun one, guys. You know, it's a, you guys are offering me the opportunity to finally get the entire message out in one clear, concise manner, which is something I've been looking forward to for a while. So thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Welcome. Well, we're excited to have you. We we know that you're a very passionate speaker. You really care about uh, your interests, um, and you're you're one of those guys on the leading edge, right? I see your stuff on LinkedIn all the time. It's some of them that Fubar Fridays are hilarious. Yeah. Um, but uh, but you're you're a great uh, ambassador of of the industry. So a lot of the challenges, James. Before we get into it, is understanding most people's vision of drones, and I would say most listeners who are business owners. Um, their vision of drones are probably those little mini things that you get at Walmart or, or Kmart. Um, and that's the extent of it. So when we're talking about drones, I mean, we're talking about some serious technology here. And uh, if you can sort of give us an overview of what you consider a drone to be, um, and we'll start off from there. Well, it's, it's you know, it's kind of funny because everybody goes on about drones. And that's the term. That's a term that's been used since kind of like this whole thing has started. But let's let's call it what it is. If we talk about a drone, we're talking about an unmanned vehicle. 
right? Whether it be land, sea, or air, doesn't really matter. Drone is just something that's operated remotely in a sense. Drones have been in operation for a very long time. Um, you know, the first military drones came out somewhere around 1939 uh, during World War I, World War II. Uh, different variants of, of, of this type of technology was, has been utilized. And it's, it's kind of funny when people think about drones, the first thing they think about is that quadcopter. And it's, that's not necessarily true, not necessarily true, because like I said, they were used during World War I, World War II. Um, Vietnam era, we used drones. We've always had some sort of military drone technology that's been around. But it was the transition into the civilian side of things that kind of made things interesting. So for this conversation, when I talk about risk, I'm talking about my definition of risk is, is, is just very simple. It's threat, vulnerability, and consequences. So you look at the threat, anything that can adversely affect you or your organization, um, the vulnerability, ultimately how that threat can present itself, and then ultimately what are the consequences when it does. So when I mention risk, um, that's the definition that I'm utilizing in this conversation. And additionally to that, when I talk about general security concepts or basic security concepts, it's you know deter, detect, delay, respond. Um, a lot of people don't realize this, that 90, or excuse me, the last time I saw the statistic, it was somewhere around like 92% of global security programs have one failure point and they're all at the same point and it's response, right? Ultimately, who's going to respond? So if global security programs are failing at the response, who's gonna pick up the slack on that? This is where we get man guard services. This is where we get automation. This is where we get um, you know, uh, autonomy, uh, artificial intelligence algorithms, smart cameras, and all this technology. So we're gonna be talking about not only drones, but we're also gonna be talking about unmanned systems, robotics in general, future of what it looks like, right? So when we talk about robotics, you know, all the geeks that are in the audience are going to think of like Star Wars, Star Trek, every single sci-fi movie out there that had a, had some type of android robot aliens. And I mean, all there's tons of great movies out there that had all these great, you know, what we thought the future of robotics would be. And in all honesty, I kind of laugh at this because I thought we would be way further than we are right now. We started when the industry started off, it, it, it came out of the military. But the commercialization of drone technology or quadcopters, <clears throat> this is the wild thing. So according to the research and conversations I've had over the years, the very first quadcopter ever flown, it was a, it was what's known as a Y-frame. So it's just a Y and mm -hmm. it, has a, it had three motors on it. And the gentleman who built it and flew it, his name was Callie Dave. He was the very first person to build a quadcopter and fly it semi-successfully because a little bit of time after that came the flight controllers now this is the funny thing this is the thing that a lot of people are going to get blown blown away by flight controllers started off as a hobbyist project from the uh, hobby community that flew airplanes and helicopters and they were utilizing the accelerometers in the original uh, nintendo week hand controller and they were integrating that into flight systems in order to create stabilization Right. So that's where that's where it kind of started culminating. And it was a it was an open forum. You know, people from all around the world were, were a part of it. Um, then somebody finally decided to see if to try to capitalize on it. And that was uh, Chris Anderson and Jordi Munoz uh, with 3D Robotics. Jordi created a, a, a flight controller 
that allowed for that ability to not only manage flight systems, but also have a little bit of autonomy in there, you know, uh, command and control and so on, which is really started spinning this snowball, getting bigger and bigger, right? So I've, I've got a question. Let me just ask a question, if I can, that perhaps we should have kicked it off. I'm just amazed with what I just heard in your knowledge. How did you get into the drone game? Well, I was going to address that later, but I'd happily okay. do it now. Um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's actually a, a great story. Um, very good friend of mine, mentor, uh, best man at my wedding. His name is uh, Bruce E. Wimmer. Uh, he's a lieutenant colonel, retired United States Air Force OSI. Uh, we've been working together for 20 plus years and about somewhere around, I want to say it was 20, 2011, 2010, 2011. He looks at me, we're at ASIS. He goes, hey man, he goes, I know you're always interested in this technology stuff and you're always playing with you know, remote control planes and cars. And you know, I got this question, these drone things that are coming out, what do you think about them? And I told him my opinion. And he was like, would you be interested in doing a presentation about it? And I said, absolutely. So then I kind of dove in head first. So the concept <clears throat> for the very first presentation and um, for, your, for your audience that um, is, is, can see this on video, what I'll do is I'll actually send you a photograph of the very first presentation of the, at ASIS, which is me flying a drone in ASIS. It's really cool. And so the concept for the, the presentation was, what can the average person do with the drone? So what I did was I did a massive amount of research. I spent a year and a subsequent year and a half reading, learning, teaching myself how to build and fly and all these different things. Two weeks before ASIS, through two weeks before the actual event, I purchased my first drone. I partnered up with another guy who helped me reprogram it. And we advanced the programming on the drone all within a two-week time frame, right? And that was to prove a point, to show how easy it was to potentially manipulate this technology. So ultimately what had happened, Brian, was that that just lit a fire in my belly. Because when I was a younger man, before I got into security, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to design aircraft. I wanted to design fighter aircraft, fighter planes, airplanes. So I was studying aviation engineering. I was studying airframe design when I was younger. And then uh, um, I always had a passion for aviation. I kind of stuck with it through my entire life. And then when the drone thing came on and unmanned systems came on, it was an ability for me to marry my two passions, which are security and aviation engineering. But it just kind of, snowballed it, it got completely out of control and it's just it's it's blown up i started my own company and i just kept going and going and going it hasn't stopped right um it's kind of taking it slow down a little bit but we'll talk about that later <laughs> Great <this> story. Yeah. <laughs> i wanted to get back to uh some of the comments you made at the start and and i yeah like you i was surprised to find out that you can actually trace it back to the Second World War, that it goes back that far. But although at that time you're really talking about robotics and not, not the, the systems we have today. So my not question was, close. when you talk about, like you said, the the, the initial or or the genesis of the current um, version of what we think or what we consider drones, those those quadcopters, um, they started through hobbyists. Traditionally, I would suggest a lot of a lot of that technology comes from the military. It gravitates into the private sector, but 
has that happened with with drones or like were these guys just hobbyists out on their own or were the ex-military guys who said hey let's make this work in the commercial sector so they were strictly hobbyists right they were strictly hobbyists trying to come up with a solution to a problem which was stable which was to be the ability to stabilize the platform but the the uh interesting thing is that the the reason why this technology kind of just exploded is all thanks to um, uh, Steve Jobs and the Apple iPhone. If it wasn't for the Apple iPhone, we wouldn't be here, right? We wouldn't be at this point that we are now, or we wouldn't have been at the point that we were 10 years ago. Um, now, well, can, can I just, I don't mean to cut you off, but oh, is ahead. that fair to say on the commercial side, or are you saying militarily we would still have- It's, all, it's strictly on the commercial side, right? On just the on the commercial side. Yep. There was no military, there was some military interest, but the military version of a unmanned aerial system versus the civilian version of an unmanned aerial system is apples and, and, and oranges, right? Okay. It just, they're completely two different things. 10 years later now, there is, there is some migration of military tech into civilian drone market and vice versa, because some of the the best innovation is coming out of the civilian side of things and it's migrating over to this military side of things, right? So back to Steve Jobs. So Steve Jobs invents the iPhone, shows the world the scalability of technology and making it smaller, right? So now you got the iPhone, you got a, you got a computer in your hand that's, that's this big. And people were like, okay, well, that kind of changes the game. Now we can scale down all of the systems that we were utilizing that were normally in big boxes, um, now they're down to something this big, right? And it just got more, it just got better from that point on. Like the original flight controllers, you can you can find out. The original flight controllers from years ago, they were like about that big. Now they're about this big and some are now even this big. So, I mean, they just get smaller and smaller and smaller. So it was, thank, it was thanks to that innovation that led to another innovation, Nintendo developing the Wii system with its accelerometers and the controllers, which led to the hobbyist community trying to create it to utilize it to stabilize their platforms. So then 3D Robotic comes out. They come out with the with the uh, Pixhawk, which is, you know, the, the, the marriage of all this, the accelerometers, the technology. And then it kind of disenchanted the hobbyist community in a sense. Yes, it was finally what they wanted. But this was a global effort from a lot of different groups, a lot of different people that contributed to this. And then somebody turned around and took it and said, no, we're going to do this with it and tried to they tried to monetize it, which is OK. It's understandable. You know, I mean, shit, why not? Why not try to do it? Why not try to create something that'll work? So back around 2000, um, uh, let's see, it was 2010 West. and it was the AR. AR Parrot. And that was the very first commercial drone that was now available the rub is is that if you look at the actual history right so the the, the guy who 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 uh ultimately is the who ultimately created dji uh mm -hmm. originally had a toy company and he had built a, a small quadcopter type drone as a toy and then what had happened was it didn't work it kind of just flopped then ar you know uh, the parrot comes out and the world explodes and oh we got it on now we got quadcopters and then the phantom subsequently comes out i think the year after that and then dji is born and so on <clears throat> but you know as to who did it first 
there's there's an argument there, right? My this is just strictly my opinion as to who did it first. The uh, who did it first was potentially DJI or the I, we will call it the prequel to DJI was that toy. Um, the first company to able to, able to, to commercially create a system was AR, which is a French company. But the whole thing started with a bunch of kids on the interweb talking in groups and stuff like that. So who, you know, you got the French who aren't, who have a tendency to steal intellectual property from time to time. And you have the Chinese who are well known for stealing intellectual property from time to time. Um, you know, so who did it first? I mean, it's like, you know, it's a Avent Costello thing. Who's on first, right? Hey, so. I got to ask you, you, you'd mentioned the ability to stabilize the platform was sort of a catalyst moment or a game changer. I think I know the answer, but why? Why was that important? When you have something that's flying through the air, right? You need a, a variety of different sensors to tell if the aircraft is level or if it's flying level or which way, which direction is it going? And then when you change that up into a platform where it's a helicopter or a quadcopter, we need to be able to manage the motors and the control systems, right? So when the rotors, when the rotors are turning, you want to be able to have something that can manage, you know, which one's excelling, accelerating at what point, in which way the, the, the system's turning, and to be able to maintain its stability. Right. If these things didn't have flight controllers in them, Brian, they'd be just flipping all over the place and, and it'd be going crazy. Those flight controllers are critical because it, it allowed the hobbyists to now create that stable platform, right? Which is just, that was a game changer. And once they were able to do that, it just took off from there. And then it's like every swinging cod from, from Timbuktu to, you know, Kadoka, South Dakota started developing systems. Mm -hmm. um, you know, combining different types of technologies and flat platforms and all these different things. And coming up with all these different kinds of unique designs for drones and heavy lifting drones. And it just kept going and going and going. You know, and you can go to Home Depot and go buy a drone if you want to during Christmas time. I yeah. mean, it's hysterical. So so why, what, what's the thing with the quadcopters, with the four propeller? I've got a, um, a DJI uh, uh, entry-level drone that I play with and I'm trying to master. But why four and not three or one or two? Like a helicopter just has one plus a tail rotor. Is there any significance with four over one or three? Or two. Well, it's it's all about stability, right? So you know there are there are some quadcopters give the ability to land and take off vertically. That's the advantage, right? You don't need a runway. You don't need uh, any considerable amount of infrastructure to be able to take off. And it's just something you can throw in a backpack and take it anywhere and use it, right? You know, Brian, there's drones out there that only have that have what would be considered multi-rotor, but in a single stack. So there's there's drones out there that are on the market that have a rotor here yeah. and a rotor here, and it's just, they're on top of each other and they do different things at different times in order to get stability. There's drones that have two that have two motors, three motors, eight motors, 12 motors. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It's just, it's all, it all depends on ultimately what your goal is, what you're trying yeah. to accomplish. And that stabilized platform also was a important point in time, I guess, because not only did it allow uh, entry in a big way to the civilian market or the recreational market, but also for nefarious reasons. Any technology can be used for good and evil. It doesn't matter. It's just the intent of the operator. Where, where, where the risk comes from in our world, in our world of security, where the risk comes from. So we all know like our, I, I can never remember who came up with this one, but I, I always have it in my mind. Do you remember the, th the, the threat matrix where it says uh, sophisticated? and unsophisticated, funded, non-funded, and so on and so on. Well, this is the one tech that 
you don't need to be sophisticated and you don't need to be well-funded to execute a mission. You don't. Yeah. You just need time and effort, spend some time on YouTube. You can build it. You can build it out of popsicle sticks if you wanted to. And, you know, finding the components, you can find the components almost anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter. So this is yeah, the it, one tech. This is kind of like, I didn't mean to cut you off, Luch, but this is kind of like yeah. a gun, right? You don't, you don't need to be sophisticated and well-funded to, to use a gun. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be sophisticated and well-funded to use a drone. Good point. It's interesting. Uh, it made me laugh when you said that, uh, you know, the parts can come from all over the world because I just listened this morning to a podcast on on drones, although they're unmanned vehicles uh, that the Russians are using and they've taken those apart. And lo and behold, to your point, some parts are coming from Japan, some are coming from Iran. A lot of them are coming from the U.S. And yeah, they're being sold on the open market with a different intent. Somebody puts them all together and creates drones out of them to, to go to battle. It's beyond the uh, the maker's control, but you know it's that simple to to, to create these things. You know, years so, ago, and I'm going back. I'm going back maybe 11, 12 years years ago. Um, I contacted DJI. Like I was, I I must have spoken to everybody before they were somebody. You know what I mean? So I called up DJI and I said, "Hey man, I've got some law enforcement folks that would really be interested in being able to utilize tech, your tech, um, but they do have some specific requirements. And can we talk?" I got an email back from DJI saying, absolutely not. We're not interested in in working with law enforcement at all. Well, subsequently, what happens five years later? Now they're interested in working. You know, five years later, after that point, after that conversation, Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, yeah, we're interested in now working with law enforcement. It's like, are you kidding me? You know, you kind of you kind of sit back and say. What's the reason why you're doing this? Right. Okay, I get that DJI wants to dominate the market. Yeah, they are. They are literally dominating the market. But at the beginning of when they first started, they weren't interested in law enforcement. Now they're suddenly interested in law enforcement. Now they're suddenly interested in government. Why? Well, let's look at where they're at, right? I mean, if you know your basic rules of operating in China, you know any business that operates in China has to have a local person um, that owns the company. And the Chinese government also has partial ownership. So now you have you know, China's military services or uh, military secret service or MSS. I can't remember the exact uh, name right now, but you have Chinese MSS that now have access to a facility that's building these quadcopters where all these servers are and all this information is being collected. What do you think they're doing with it? You know, like my, the gentleman I mentioned before, Bruce Wimmer, he wrote a book uh, uh, on business espionage. Um, And he talks about when he was living in China, how much you know, they were trying to access and, and spy on what he was doing because he was working at the time for General Motors, uh, I think with Pinkerton or, or, or uh, uh, Dan or uh, Hill and Associates back then. I, you know, I can't, some of the, some of the names are, I'm not no, quite remembering, but he had you know, people were... spying on his apartment and the, he tells me a story and I love this story, but basically he was doing some laundry and he had broken the, uh, the handle on the laundry and before he had an opportunity to call down to maintenance, somebody had knocked on his door and say, oh, we understand you broke your, <laughs> we broke the handle, you broke the handle on your washing machine. <laughs> well, Bruce is sitting here, he's like, I didn't call anybody, so how the hell do you know this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, Customer I mean, service. <laughs> you know, we know that certain certain countries, you know, we're, we're going head to head with certain countries. And we've been going head to head with these countries for decades. It's just a game. Everybody's playing it. 
You know, the United States, the U.S. lost the entire solar industry because of business espionage. The entire is, solar industry. So, is BJI a Chinese-owned company? 100%, 100%. Probably 75% of drones manufactured in the world come from China. So I'm curious, you know, we hear a lot now, especially coming out of the U.S., uh, about TikTok and banning TikTok or regulating TikTok. Do you see that happening with uh, DJI and other companies like DJI? Well, it's already the conversations already started, Brian. I mean, it's let's look at Huawei and Dula, right? I mean, they both got, you know, their hands slapped. They're both getting blacklisted essentially in government services side of things. And DJI is ultimately going to be a part of that. They're they're going to get caught up in the whirlwind in a sense, mm-hmm. at some point. But I mean, that's it's it's all. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to poke the bear. <laughs> it's all depending on who's in the administration at the time. <laughs> oh. I didn't know we we're gonna go there. Are you suggesting we have a soft government on on Chinese espionage? A little bit. Are we talking? We're just very cuddly up here. You know that. Talking about the U.S. Look, man, I'll put it to you this way. So this is off drone topic, but it comes to the uh, technology side of things. Um, so you have you have Huawei, right? Who is questionable to begin with? They've they they're now installing 5g towers throughout canada okay huawei has an established and a huge footprint in south and latin america so you got huawei uh, huawei here and huawei here and u.s in the middle hello (laughs) i mean it's not hard to be be fair to to our to our uh, peers in the industry on the public sector like I know that our intelligence agencies were all over that. And, and to your point, politicians are making decisions based on politics rather than what's good for the country. And that's a dangerous place to be. But we're paying for that. We're going to pay for that. That's absolutely well, I think, true. I think Robin Williams said it best. He thinks that uh, congressmen, senators and politicians should wear jackets, jackets that have their sponsors on them, you know, to see who's <laughs> sponsoring who at what point. Because that's exactly. If you recall, Luke, we had some time ago a guest on, very knowledgeable in the Canadian uh, intelligence uh, Mm -hmm. world, and he said exactly what you were saying, that it's not that we're not aware, it's just that it gets uh, unreceptive attention when it gets in front of the politicians. And it's very frustrating for our intelligence folks, because they know what's happening, they've got the intelligence and the information presenting it, but it's looked at from a political lens, and and that's sort of scary, but that's just the reality. So when you look at this tech through a political this lens, where, this is where things get, you know, uh, interesting, because if there were a lot of people 10, 11, 12 years ago that were trying to raise red flags, that were that were raising the flag and saying, hey, man, there's something that's not right here. Um, what are we going to do about it? And it fell on deaf ear. What can you do with a drone? Well, that's a question I get asked all the time. I get people that call me up all the time. Hey, man, can you do this with a drone? And nine times out of, or excuse me, 10 out of 10 times, it's, yeah, you can, mm-hmm. you know, has somebody done this with a drone? Well, maybe not that, but they've done this. There are, again, positive use cases and negative use cases. If, and, and, and I often say this because when we did the presentation for drones initially, we did it at uh, ASIS in Atlanta and we did it to a packed room. And we got asked subsequently after that to do the presentation in New York. And this is a great story. I love this one because I did not realize who this person was until until a year later. So I, we, Bruce and I did the presentation in New York 
um, was well received. I got to, I met, um, I don't know if you know him, uh, uh, Chuck Andrews, Big Chuck mm-hmm. from Texas. I got to meet him originally uh, and a uh, great guy, um, real big supporter in tech. And then I met uh, Dave Tyson and I didn't know who Dave Tyson was. I didn't, right? And he was just like, he, he came up to me. He's like, that was a great presentation. He goes, I, he goes, I, I never thought it, it's that that was possible. And then he says, you're, you keep, you're going to be keeping me up at night, <laughs> you know, worried about this. And I kind of just giggled and blew it off. Well, a year later, Dave, I think it was a year and a half later, he becomes president of ASIS. So I've got the president of ASIS telling me that I keep him up late at night and he sees me at the conference and he runs up to me and he says the exact same thing again. He goes, man, I can't get you out of my head. He goes, the stuff that you talk <laughs> about crazy. is just nuts. And it, and it is, but that was 10 years ago, guys, 10 years ago. So, so, so let me ask you, we sort of transition into what's it used for today? And there's, a, you know, there's recreational use and business use and terrorism and war and criminal. But I'm just curious about something. The recreational piece is quite evident, and even the terrorism and war is quite evident, but I'd like to elaborate that in a second. But the thing that's not clear to me, criminal use of drones, what does that look like? Um, it's fast, right? So what, a couple months ago, you guys had a drone that crashed uh, somewhere. I think it was uh, the, 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 it came all, it took off somewhere around Michigan, crashed somewhere in Canada, and it was loaded up with guns, right? Somebody had, <laughs> it was trying to transport uh, you know, a, a, a variety of firearms. You know, you have the cartels in, in down south in Mexico that are using drones to not only transport drugs, but they're also using drones to drop explosives on their on bad guys. You had the uh, attempted assassination of Maduro. Uh, two drones were flown in. Um, you know, subsequently they crashed before before they got to their target. And that's another, you know, another uh, we can have that conversation later too, if you want. But it's um, bad guys have figured out that this this tech can be used for a variety of different reasons, Brian. You can use it to kill someone. You can use it to transport something. You can use it to spy on somebody. Mm-hmm. So now, if I'm an enterprising young terrorist and I want to create the most amount of chaos I can, well, what am I going to do? Well, I'm just going to simply mount a gun on a drone and fly that drone to downtown anywhere, and just start randomly shooting people. So how are you going to stop that? You know, what can you, what can a bad guy use a drone for? A bad guy can use a drone for damn near anything you can imagine. If I'm a hacker, right? Hold on. If I'm a hacker, right? I can, I can build a drone with the Wi-Fi port and networking capabilities, land it on the roof of your house, hack your house, sit there and, 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 and sniff packets all day long on your emails. And you won't even know I was there, you know? So if now I, you're. You're keeping me up at night with this stuff. <laughs> I was trying to interrupt, but like, how can you stop it? How can you stop it? Like, that's that's the rub. This is, this is sort of putting up a missile. Like, what are you doing downtown Toronto or in Miami? That is a very, that, that is a fantastic question. Yeah. That's one. But is it's a question that when I give people the answer, they don't like it. The only way you can successfully intercept an unmanned system on an intentional mission that's been pre-programmed and has no command and control is is literally an act of god okay it's it's you know are we going to have are we going to have missile batteries stationed around toronto or new york or miami are you going to have you know gatling guns shooting down drones 
Are you going to try to use EMP? Are you going to try to hack it? I mean, there's so many different ways. How do you detect it? I mean, that's the big one right there. How do you detect a drone on an intentional I, mission? I, when I originally got into this, I realized how dangerous this really is, right? And I said, it's not about the drone. We need to change our focus and, and look at the pilot. So that's that's that comes back to our our various three-letter agencies in North America, you know, putting somebody on a watch list and actually watching them, you know what I mean? And that's a, that's a, you know, this, there was a recent, um, I can't remember where it was and I, I really feel bad about this, but there was a recent shooting where the gentleman, a mass shooting where the gentleman was on the FBI watch list, but nobody was watching him, right? And how many right. times do we, how many times do we hear that, right? Do yeah, we hear, um, well, they were, they, he was on a list and we kind of knew he was a bad guy, but you know, nobody thought of it, right? So w what happens when, you know, you got these gangs in, in California and New York. What happens when, you know, they turn around, mount, the, mount an AK-47 on the bottom of a drone, fly it through a neighborhood and just light them up? How do you, how do you prove who had command and control of that system, right? I mean, if they're, you know, how do you do that? How do you protect that? How do you protect people from that? Mm -hmm. So it's like you've got these detection capabilities. You've got um, land-based radar. You've got sound. Um, electronic signatures, you got all these different ways of being able to detect the technology. But ultimately, it comes back to at the beginning of our conversation, I said, where does everybody fail? 90% of, of security programs fail at response. If we have no response, then we don't have a solution. So 12 years ago, I, I was advocating for, we need to, we need to pause this, right? And I had I had went to Washington, D.C. I had spoken to congressmen and congresswomen. I've, I spoke to, to those who make decisions. And I said, we need, to, we need to pause this. We need to you know, halt what we're doing. We need to first come up with a solution to manage and mitigate the problem before we start allowing people to utilize the technology. But as with all things, we never do that. We're never ahead of the curve. So 10 years later, 12 years later, we're still behind the curve. And I was promised, you know, oh, we'll have a solution for this or, or we'll have this problem licked in five years with, you know, ID and management and all these different things, uh, you know, systems integration. I mean, all these different technologies we're going to utilize to manage this problem. And we're still nowhere, right? Originally- but isn't that Go ahead. Isn't that reflective? Like most technologies being driven, especially by when it gets to the commercial side, it's all about the money and security is an afterthought. And, and, and as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, here's a here's a product that, you know, we've talked largely about some of the challenges with, with the technology, which which I'm not going to dispute. But there's also a lot of good things, right? That that that's the reason why they're there. They're cheap. They're easy oh, to operate. 100 percent. All those types of things. So, when you start talking about those value adds and you've got companies like DHL and Amazon, FedEx, they're driving the need to make these things bigger and more capable. Isn't that sort of, I mean, that's the natural butting of heads between guys like them who want the money and then guys like you who are advocating or trying to, to, to set up the system to be successful going forward and not just the wild west. We have, there are way more positive use cases for drone technology yeah. 
with regards with regards to its capabilities than there is for negative. Oh, I, I agree 100%. This, this tech can do some amazing things from wildlife management to emergency response to, you know, agricultural uh, uh, management, water management. I mean, there's all these great inspections, um, you know, infrastructure inspections. I mean, it just, it, it sends chills down my spine to think about all the great things that this technology can do. And I, I, absolutely support it a hundred percent but if i can't stop someone from doing it then i've got a problem right so this right. comes back to and again i'm going to poke the bear a little bit this comes back to you know guns right everybody you have people that are, that are on both sides of the gun debate people feel like you need to disarm you need to take weapon guns away from people and then you have people believe you have a right to to bear arms and so on and guys, we've been collectively, we've been in this industry probably for over a hundred years. If you take all our experiences and well, combine it. Brian is a hundred years on his own. <laughs> with, with, with regards to firearms rules and regulations, has that stopped the bad guy from, from getting a gun and using it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Don't play by doesn't. The, rules. the bad guys aren't going to play by the rules. So you're going to force an entire population to play by the rules when the bad guys don't play by the rules. So how's that yeah. going to work? You know, it just does, it just doesn't work with regards to the integration of this technology and its simplicity of use. Remember how I said you need those flight controllers to maintain stable flight and all these different systems and they all talk to each other and work together. Well, you know, you can take a you can take a new phone and do the exact same thing. That phone, you can go buy yourself a Samsung or an Apple, integrate that phone into your drone and that phone now becomes communication command and control, uh, GPS, flight systems, all of that. So are you going to now manage phones? Are you going to now say, okay, you can, you can buy this phone, but you can't use it to put in a drone. How are you going to control that? You're not going to. You're just not. And the integration of this technology, you know, go on. If, if, if you know anybody that plays around in the dark web, you know, go ask them a question, say, hey, man, can you spend 20 minutes looking into drone stuff on the dark web? And they're going to come up with a million and one things. And you're just going to be blown away by what you find. You know, you know the shit, the shit you see on TV, man, yeah. that's already here. <laughs> it reminds me, you know, the helplessness is sort of scary. It reminds me of a situation I was part of, maybe you, Luke, years ago in downtown Toronto, in the financial district that at the time, and I think it's about five, six, seven years ago, that uh, terrorism, threat of terrorism was still something that was keeping us up at night. And one day there was a report in the downtown core of uh, a drone that was hovering around the CN Tower than the Rogers Center. And there was a lot of consternation. There were a lot of 911 calls. And uh, I remember getting on a call with the local police and the intel community and just talking about what's happening. And we were very concerned because no one knew what this drone was doing. And it turned out at the end, it was just a marketing company that was taking some aerial shots. They never told anyone they were doing it. They didn't coordinate with the local police or the city. So it was much to do about nothing. But when we did a debrief, there was some discussion that had this been a sinister plot, what's the plan? And there is no plan because there's no way of dealing with it. It was almost like watching a science fiction movie, War of the Worlds. You see these things coming into the downtown core Everyone is on top of it, but no one knows what to do. 
you, you know, there was no way to deal with it. And, and to your point, uh, James, I sort of agree with you. I think there are a lot of goods, and I think we've got to encourage the, the technology development of the technology. But I think you were right to say to Congress and other people, let's just take a deep breath here and look at, you know, uh, let's put some uh, workable controls around this. Otherwise, there's it's a potential Pandora's box. I, 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 you know, it was almost like I was a pariah at one point, right? Um, ASIS was a huge supporter at the start. You know, they absolutely loved the presentations. We, we did a lot of events. Um, we were working with some really great people from the industry. Um, what I did, what I did with Star River originally, Star River started off as a way of being able to bring together um, different different engineers, different companies, different people under one umbrella to be able to work together. Because at the time, I when I originally created Star River, it was just supposed to be a way of being able to bring a lot of people together to work together. Because at that time, I was working with Andrews International, um, now U.S. Security Associates. Oh, wait, no, now Allied. <laughs> I was working with them and, and Andrews um, wanted to start an unmanned systems and robotics division, but they didn't want to, at that time, they didn't want everyone to know what they were doing because it's the rule of, you know, don't you know bad boys move in silence, right? So, you know, we were kind of on one side, we were doing things a little covertly, and on the other side, we were prepping to build this, this group and this team to be able to roll it out and knock it out the park when we introduced it. And what had happened was, I think, another, another acquisition, another merger, and then the whole thing got scrapped. And we, you know, we had a partnership with Sharp Robotics, and they had a really great system, um, and it just didn't go anywhere. It kind of fell flat. Ultimately, that's when I spun my company off to become what it what what it is now but the the thing is is i was having these conversations years ago years ago i was having these conversations with people i was working with some of the best minds out there you know now the like like i said before before they were famous i was working with some people you know some of the biggest voices in the drone community i knew them they were on speed dial they called me i called them um, you know, we were working with companies like Cisco and I mean, you know, uh, uh, Deloitte, I mean, all these different organizations, all these big name corporations that were trying to, we, what we were trying to do is we were trying to figure out who's going to lead the charge, mm -hmm. right? That's what we were trying to do. It wasn't, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I do say I'm, I'm the scariest guy in the room. So when I, when I talk about all the nasty stuff drones can do, people want to kind of just push that off and say, no, we can do all this great stuff. So we were trying to figure out who's going to lead the charge. Is it going to be ag? Is it going to be inspections? Is it going to be, you know, is it going to be uh, delivery? Who's going to take the reins and lead the charge to be able to say, these are the components we need in order to make this successful and everybody can work within this environment and here's and here's the infrastructure and here's the rules and regulations and we all agree to this and this is a north american event you know mexico united states canada this is all of us working together to try to figure this out well that concludes part one of our two-part series on drone technology please join us in a couple of weeks when we'll conclude our conversation on drone technology with james Alcivado. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, 
where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets. Thank <laughs> you.